0: Good morning, brothers. I know those of you uh, who uh, last week, when you got here and your two back row tables, two back rows of tables weren't, uh, weren't there. I know that must have been really stressful, noticing how many of you love those two back rows. So I'm, I apologize uh, that we really messed you up. Um, and of course, these guys up here were thinking, yeah, a lot, bunch of people got into, got into our rows as well. Um, I know nobody would do this here, but uh, but about eight years ago, um, I I was bringing. Uh, we were trying to get some some young men to come to uh, to Amen. Thankfully, the Lord has has answered our prayers over the years. We do have a lot of young men coming to Amen. Um, but it was about eight years ago, and <laughs> and um, I had got some guys there. We we sat down at a table, and and I'm sure it was I'm sure it was nobody in this room, but man, this guy fussed at me so badly. He he said. Uh, He's like, Todd, listen, uh, th- this, is, this is our table. You're at the wrong table. I said, uh, okay, and I kind of looked at him. He said, Todd, we have been at this table for 25 years. And I was thinking to myself, I think Amen's only been going for 22 years. And I didn't say this, but in my head I'm thinking, you know what? You probably should have that. If you've been here three years before Amen started, then this is your table. I'm going to leave. I'm going go to go find another table. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 116, Psalm 116. I uh, hope you got the email. I know some of you men like to read the passage ahead of time and be prepared. I switched the passage up uh, in my study. I think this is a better uh, passage. We're still going to be going to the one that's in, that was in the, in the list, in the syllabus. And you'll notice in the notes, I put them there in purpose. I put the re- scripture references on purpose already ahead of time, in, in your notes, because we're going to go to all those places. So we're going to get, your Bible's going to get a workout, your hands are going to get a workout this morning. I want to take us to all these places, uh, starting in Psalm 16, and then we'll be looking at some of those other things. You know, uh, it, it was good news to hear that, um, I guess yesterday, that DeMar Hamlin was discharged from the hospital. The, the Buffalo Bills defensive back who uh, collapsed from sudden cardiac arrest uh, a Monday night a week ago on Monday Night Football. He's out of the hospital, uh, back home rehabbing at home and that's a, that's a blessing. Wasn't it interesting to note if you were watching the game that when Damar Hamlin collapsed uh, on the field uh, a prayer meeting broke out on the field. Right, All of a sudden um, if, you, if they had called a prayer meeting before the game, maybe ten guys would have gotten out there and they might have been in trouble. But he collapsed, and all of a sudden, both teams, all staffs, everyone, even the commentators, were saying, "You know, we, our prayers and thoughts uh, are with him." Well, what is biblical prayer? I mean, was what was happening there was that biblical prayer? Is 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 prayer is prayer simply asking whatever we want from God? Is prayer simply asking God for what we need? Is prayer simply praising Him? Is prayer? Uh, just expressing, is it simply expressing our, our lament and sadness to God? Is prayer simply confessing our sin to God? Is it, is it necessarily a, a combination? What exactly is biblical prayer? I'm really glad you guys asked that question this morning. Thank you. Because that's what I want to look at. And I want to begin with Psalm 116. And the context of Psalm 116 is that the psalmist is recounting a trial. We don't know exactly what the trial is, we don't know if it was physical, emotional, spiritual, but a, he was recounting a trial where he called out to the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord. That's the, that's the phrase, the description of prayer, particularly in the Old Testament. And you're going to see his, that phrase used four places here in Psalm 116. He's recounting that, he's recounting the prayer, he's recounting the results. And in this, we're going to see a framework for biblical prayer, what biblical prayer really is. Let me begin reading at verse 1 of Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God, excuse me, and righteous, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars." What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Biblical prayer. Five things I think we see here for us that describe for us what biblical prayer actually is. And the first is this. Biblical prayer is directed to the Lord as he has revealed himself. I said that four times here, and you see it first in verse 4. I will call on the name of the Lord. Now, I want to I want to stop there and pause. I want to get to that phrase and notice that I intentionally capitalized all uh, all letters there in the word Lord because that's the way it is in our Bibles and it refers to something specific about God. But before we jump into that, I want to take us to Genesis chapter 4 and look at the day prayer began. This in the in the history of the world is the day that prayer began. Interestingly, prayer did not begin in the Garden of Eden. Um, they talked with God, but it wasn't what we would call prayer. And it's not what the Bible, I think, calls prayer. But there in Genesis chapter 4, just to give you the, the, the framework of what's, of what's happening before I read those last verses, uh, Cain and Abel um, are born and, uh, and, and then, you know, unfortunately, uh, Cain decides um, to kill his brother, um, and, and now all of a sudden we have the first murder. So you have the first sons, and now you have the first murder, and the only person left who's in the line of Adam and Eve is a murderer. And the first part of the chapter has to do with the, the depravity of, of, of Cain and the resulting grace that God gives, we studied that in Genesis a couple of years ago here in Amen. And the second part of the passage has to do with the depravity of then, therefore, the whole community of all those who existed on the earth and the resulting grace. It kind of wraps up with verses 23 and 24 where Lamech is described as someone who, as we, we talked about, um, is just brazen in his, in his uh uh, his arrogance, brazen in his abuse. He's abusive to women when we study this. He is, he is basically saying, I, I'm not going to be just. I'm going to be vengeful. And so th- what it's describing is where mankind has gone. And what's happening here in, in Genesis chapter 4 is that as Moses writes this and the people of, of Israel are reading this and understanding what's going on, it's this unfolding of God's salvation history. And in this unfolding of salvation history, the question is, hey, where is the head crusher of Genesis 3.15? God promised that the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent's head. Where is that head crusher? Now, my, uh, 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 I was talking to my assistant, Suzanne, and I told her, I said, yeah, um, we're going to be looking at Genesis 4, the day prayer began. And she said, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Reverend Simbala up in New York who's written many books on prayer says, yeah, this is in Genesis 4 is the word, the day prayer began. We don't exactly know why that happened. And my assistant Suzanne says, oh, I know why it happened. I know what happened because Eve had children. The second you have children, you start praying, like you begin to pray. I say, well, actually, Suzanne, you're, you're, not, you're not quite off there because that's what's at issue here. So let me read these verses and let's talk this out of why did prayer begin here. Verse 25 and Adam knew his wife again. So this is after Cain and Abel. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, a son also was born. He called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The first time that phrase appears. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Why did prayer begin then? What's going on? This is what's going on. The promise from Genesis 3.15 is that the offspring of Eve would be the one that would crush the serpent's head. They have been kicked out of the garden. They have been kicked out of the paradise created for them. And now they're dealing with their sin, but God had promised that there would be a head crusher who who would be the, the, the offspring of Eve. And then all of a sudden, Cain and Abel are born. Maybe one of them will be the head crusher. That's the hope. That's the hope. This is the offspring of Eve. Well, then the whole thing deteriorates because Cain kills Abel. Abel can't be the head crusher. He's dead. Cain can't be the head crusher. He's he's a murderer. What are we going to do? Well, then Seth is born. Maybe he's going to be the head crusher. But then nothing more is said about Seth in the old, in the in in Genesis after this. That's it. Seth was born. He had a son, Enosh. Nothing more is said about Enosh. He's born. No head crushing. He has a son. Born. No head crushing. People begin to think, Oh wait, this promise of God crushing the head of the serpent is maybe going to take longer than we thought. And they begin to call on the name of the Lord. They begin to cry out and say, Lord, when will you send the head crusher? When will you bring us back to Eden? When will will we have the opportunity to to be in community with you? They begin to realize, man, this isn't going to happen just right away. And so they begin to call on the name of the Lord. Now, back in, in Psalm 116, you see that that phrase used several times call on the name of the Lord and Lord there is capitalized and that's when in our ESV Bibles that means it's the name Yahweh it's the it's 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 when God says um, I am who I am that's the name it it encompasses all that who he is and that's key for us in our understanding of what biblical prayer is because calling on the name of the Lord is not just what we call him The Bible isn't just giving us a name to reach out to God. Oh, I just need to know what to call him. Okay, Yahweh, Lord. It's more than that. It's much more than that. Because Yahweh just isn't his name. It's who he is. It's who he is. And so when it says in the Old Testament that they called on the name of the Lord, they were calling on God as he is revealed. The one who is. They're, they're, They're reaching out for his character, for all that he is. And so when we think about our own prayers. God's character must shape our prayers. That's why I think it's helpful for us to often begin prayer by recounting the character of God. Not because God needs us to remind him who he is. But we need to be reminded that our prayer only has, <laughs> only, uh, or, or is shaped, only, only really is, is going forward as we understand that we're not just calling out on, oh God, hey. But we're calling on the one who is. We're calling on how his character is being written. And that's how we're going to pray. That's going to frame our words. So biblical prayer is directed to the Lord as he has revealed himself. I will call on the name of the Lord. Secondly, biblical prayer is asking God to come through on his promises. Asking God to come through on his promises. You'll notice in Psalm 116... And though though the psalmist is referring to, to what he had prayed before and how he had uh, uh, cried out to God before, you'll notice at verse 5 and a little bit of verse 6, he's recounting the promises of God. God promises to be gracious. God promises to be righteous. God promises to be merciful. He's calling out the promises of God. And in the Old Testament, that was the purpose of their prayer. So it began for them, as God's people, to call out to the character of God, to who he is. And it quickly moved to his promises. That's what we're seeing in Genesis 4. They began to call on the name of the Lord. They were calling out to the the one who is, I am who I am, not just to a God. You don't just pray to a God up there. That's not biblical prayer. It's praying to the God of the Bible. It's praying to the God as he has revealed himself. And then the next piece of it is calling out his promises. So there in Genesis 4, what's taking place is is they call out to the God, the creator God, the one who is there walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. They're also calling out the promise. God, you promised in Genesis chapter 3.15. Of course, they didn't have Genesis 3.15. You promised in the garden that the offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. You promised that there was going to be salvation. You promised that you were going to make a way back for us. And so they begin to call out the the promises of God in that. Now let's take us to a couple other places where we're going to see that. Turn in your Bibles, first of all, to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. I want us to to see this um, in other places so we understand it more clearly. Remember in Genesis 32, Jacob is going to meet Esau this is years and years and years after Jacob cheated Esau. <laughs> um, so Jacob has cheated Esau. Uh, Esau, remember, Jacob was kind of like the, you know, he, he, was, he was not the hunter. He was the mama's boy. But now Jacob has, he got the birthright. He's been blessed of the Lord. He's a very wealthy man. He's going to meet up with Esau, who is the hunter, who's the guy who was a fighter. And, and Jacob is, is pretty scared about meeting his brother. In fact, he's so scared that he takes and divides his, uh, his flocks and all that and puts some on the other side of the river just in case uh, Esau is going to go nuts on him. He, he feels, well, he's only going to destroy or take half of my wealth. I'll still have the other half hidden. But in the midst of that, in verses uh, 9 through 12, we see the, the prayer that Jacob makes to God. Genesis thirty-two nine and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with my with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. Now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me and the mothers with my children. But you said, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he's praying out of fear, but notice his prayer refers to two promises. In his prayer, he said, but God, you said you're going to do good to me. You said those words. And then he refers to a moment that took place in Genesis 28, There in verse 12, he said, You said, I'm going to make your offspring like the sands of the seashore. God, you said these things. I'm going to face Esau. I'm afraid he's going to kill me and he's going to kill my, my children and kill my wives. But God, you said this would happen. Again, biblical prayer. He knew the promises of God. And when he goes to prayer, he brings the promises of God to God and says, God, please fulfill these, make these happen. Another place we see this is in 1 Kings 18. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 18. This is when Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal. Elijah is God's man. Elijah has been told, you're God's man. Elijah has been told by God, hey, I want you to go talk to and confront Ahab. Hey, Elijah, I want you to go. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send rain Go tell them I'm going to send rain. There's been famine. I'm going to make this happen. It's going to happen for you, with you, Elijah. And then Elijah ends up in this contest with the prophets of Baal. Notice, first of all, the challenge that Elijah gives in reference to prayer. uh, Chapter 18, verse 24. He says, And you call upon the name of your God, (laughs) and I will call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, notice all caps, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Okay, so we're going to call out. You call out to whatever God you have. I'm calling out to Yahweh, to the one who is. the I am who I am. And then look down at verse 36. Here we have the prayer. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O oh Lord, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Notice again, he's appealing to the character of God. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. His prayer was to appeal God, you said, you said in your word, You told me to do these things. I'm here doing these things. Lord, fulfill your promise. Fulfill your promise. And so that needs to be what happens for us, brothers. You see there uh, in in Psalm 116, in verse 5, that the psalmist is appealing to God being gracious. He's appealed to God being righteous, he's appealed to God being merciful. He's called out those things about God, those promises. So what does that look like for us? What's an example of that? Well, if you have children or if you have grandchildren, you certainly pray for them. What do you pray? What should you pray for them? Well, brothers, a lot of times we pray a lot of trivial stuff that I think is, 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 not, is not the first priority on God's mind. Like, I don't think he doesn't care where our kids where they get into college or our grandchildren get into college, but I don't think that's, that's what's driving his thoughts for our kids and our grandkids. I do know that God's word has said that those of us who are, 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 are men who belong to God, who God has claimed as his own, he said there's a promise that he would be the God of our children and our grandchildren for generations God has made that promise. I've found it in Scripture. You probably have found it in Scripture. And so when I go to the Lord and pray for my kids, and if God blesses me with grandkids, and I pray, for, I'm gonna, I claim that promise. God, you said, you said you would bless my household to, to a thousand generations. Can we start with this first one, please? Can you, can you bring them back to you? And that's the prayer. I'm claiming the promise about my kids. It, I, you can say whatever you want to God. I mean, He's a patient God and He's a He's a gentle Father. But if you want to be praying biblical prayers, if you want to be like those 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 men who have gone before us, who 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 have moved mountains through their prayers, it is about biblical prayer. It's about claiming the promises of God, and so looking for those in reference to our family and to. Um, the people we care about and going to the Lord and saying, Lord, you said, please bring this promise to fulfillment. Please bring this promise to fulfillment. Asking God to come through on on his promises. Third thing, biblical prayer is designed for a fallen world. Biblical prayer is designed for a fallen world. You see there in in verse uh, 3 of Psalm 116, he says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Later on when he's saying what he was delivered from, you delivered my soul from death. Verse 8, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. This is all this brokenness. And we don't know exactly, like I said, what the psalmist's um, uh, struggle was. But this is a, this is a deep problem. He, he either had really great physical sickness or he had a struggle with deep Grief, like deep grief. Maybe he lost his, his, his wife. Maybe he lost a child. Or maybe it was just deep depression, but this guy was in the lowest place. He was experiencing the brokenness of this world. He was experiencing this, this time between uh, being east of Eden, between Eden and the new heavens and the new earth. He's in this place and he's experiencing the brokenness of it. And it's in the brokenness that God has given us prayer. Because, again, prayer didn't exist in the garden. You say, oh yeah, but they talked with God. They did, but there was just, this, there was just walking along with God in this conversation. Um, biblical prayer, again, we've already defined it, is, is to, to ask God to fulfill His promises. Why would we need that to be done? Because we live in this broken time. And so our prayers are shaped by the fact that we're in this, this place in God's redemptive history. And you remember there uh, in in chapter 4 of Genesis, they began to call upon the name of the Lord because they realized, oh, I don't think we're going back to Eden anytime soon. But God, you said, and so they began to call out. And here we are a lot further, more east of Eden, but hopefully closer. Well, we are closer to heaven for sure. I hope it's really close. But we're in, this, we're in this place, and in this place, God has given us prayer. Prayer to God is for the now and the not yet. We recognize God's promises will be fulfilled. They will be. Brothers, your physical bodies will be healed. They will be. Now, maybe you'll experience some of that before heaven, but for sure, for sure, you and I, will be completely healed in heaven. The trauma we've experienced, the scars we bear, the emotional heart wounds that we have, those things will be healed. You will be made whole. God will fulfill his promise. You may experience some of that on this side of heaven, but for sure you're going to experience in heaven. God will fulfill his promises. And here in the the now but not yet, we cry out to God in the brokenness of the now. And, and in that place, we're saying to God, you see us. It's like what Romans talks about, where the, the rocks are crying out, where, where all creation is groaning. We're groaning. Oh, Lord, please. That's why in the, in, in, um, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and he says, pray like this. And he says, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that in the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer of of someone calling out in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the now, in the fallen world. Lord, please let it be on earth as it is in heaven. My uh, my daughter, um, she's a pretty decent artist, graphic artist. And one of my favorite gifts she ever gave me, she gave me um, last year at Christmas. And it's this framed picture of the Memphis Bridge, the M Bridge. And underneath it says, In Memphis, as it is in heaven. (laughs) And it reminds me to pray that. Because God, Jesus told us to pray that. In Memphis, as it is in heaven. And I'm praying it in the midst of the brokenness, in in the midst of our fallen world. And I'm calling out for God's promises (laughs) to make that happen. Now I know, I'm sure... All of it, all of it, all the promises will be fulfilled in heaven. I know, but maybe God in his mercy mercy and grace will do some of that now and bring some of heaven down to Memphis now. So I, I pray that because prayer is designed for a fallen world. Fourthly, biblical prayer starts with the gospel. Biblical prayer starts with the gospel. Notice uh, in verse 1, it says, He heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The Lord was actively listening. And then verse 6 of Psalm 116, When I was brought low, He saved me. (laughs) Right there. Now, let's look at this a little bit more. Turn. uh, You're back in Genesis 4. Let's go to Genesis 3. Let's go back to the garden. See, the point of this is that uh, the gospel, the point of the gospel is that God is acting to save before we asked him to save, right? That's, the point of the gospel is that he reached out and loved us before we knew to reach out for him to save us. It's God initiated. That's, that's the starting place of the gospel. And while prayer didn't exist in the gospel and the fact that they weren't calling on the name of the Lord Look who was the first caller. When you look at Genesis chapter three, uh, verses eight through ten. Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God, among the trees of the garden. So they've sinned, and they're hiding from God, and God is walking in the garden. And then look what it says in verse nine. But they're hiding. But the Lord God called to the man. They're hiding in their sin. They're ashamed to see God. God comes. And I love that it's the way it's done there. They're hiding among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? God is the one who initiates. God is the one who is reached. So our calling out to God, calling on the name of the Lord, begins with the fact that He is seeking us. And we see it there right away in the first sin at the point where humanity falls and humanity hides in guilt and shame. God comes and He calls out, Where are you? And you and I know on this side of our own salvation story, we look back and we see I mean we see what we did, but then when we come to know Christ, we're like, oh, I can see how you were calling me, God. You were you were calling out to me before I was ever calling out to you. I can, yeah. Amen. I can see it now. I wasn't even thinking about you, and you were calling out to me. And see, that's that's the that's the starting point for prayer. It's for biblical prayer. It starts with the gospel, we can only pray to God because he has made a way for us to pray. Because he has opened the door, because he has called out. So it's in that that we're responding to God. And notice this, go to, uh, to Joel chapter uh, two. We're only going to two more places. Some of you are like, wow, this is a lot of Bible turning, Todd. Um, but see, you guys are amen men, right? Like these are, this is, this is, uh, this is, you know, elite level right here, the five stars. So Joel chapter two, Joel chapter two, this is where we get that, that, uh, that phrase, that beautiful promise of God. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So all these things, all the judgments of God, but now what is God gonna do? God is going to reach out. God is going to, to come and save. And notice, we'll start reading in verse 28 of Joel chapter two. God says in it, uh, the prophet says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I, God, will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Look at verse 32, and it shall come to pass. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That verse, if you haven't figured it out already, is a pretty famous verse in the New Testament. Because it's this exact passage that's quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost to explain what's happening when the Holy Spirit comes. And Peter says, This is it. What what the prophet Joel said was going to happen, it's happening. And he says, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that same Old Testament phrase he uses. And it turns out that that day, 3,000 people call on the name of the Lord and they're baptized. And a church begins right there at the day of Pentecost. But even Paul, when he, in the book of Romans, when he's talking about the great, uh, giving the great explanation of salvation, showing us, the, 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 our own depravity and God's justification and adoption and the indwelling Holy Spirit and our sanctification and the promises to be fulfilled. Remember, in chapter 10, he says, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Using the exact phrase here from Joel chapter 2. And they're saying this whole thing, this calling on the name of the Lord has now been expanded because of Christ and what he's done. And so now when we call on the name of the Lord, now this side of the cross, we understand that it's because of Christ that we have entrance into the Holy of Holies. That's why when Christ said, it is finished, part of God's demonstration of his power was to rip the the veil that, that kept the holy place from the Holy of Holies separate, to rip that from top to bottom to say, you now have entrance into the presence of God. You can come in prayer through the gospel, through Christ, and make your request to God. Not, not walking with Him like we will in heaven, but through Christ, through this indwelling Spirit present there. See, it is the gospel. It's, it, biblical prayer is gospel-centered. You can't, can't get around it. It's why, brothers, we should never, ever no matter who asks us not to, we should never end a prayer without saying in Jesus' name. Because that's the only way we have it. That's the only way we have prayer. It's not just something, it's not just, it's not just Christianese. It's not just, well, we should say that. That's what we say in evangelical. No, it's a statement that the only way we have access in prayer is in Jesus' name. And so I've been asked, you've, you've heard other pastors talk about this, the, be asked to pray at some big civic thing, and they'll say, but, you know, please, there's lots of different faiths here. Please please don't pray in Jesus' name. I very kindly say, hey, I understand what you're saying and what you may have to do. I, I don't know how to do prayer other than that. So if, if, if you'll let, you know, if you want me to pray, I have to pray that. And if you are uncomfortable with that, then it's okay if you ask me not to pray. <laughs> But I, 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 it's not just—it's not just my demand that I got to say Jesus' name. It's like I, it's not a prayer, <laughs> and so I can't say, I, it, There's no point in me giving it, except to say in Jesus' name, because biblical prayer starts with the gospel, is encompassed by the gospel. That's my access, and then finally, this morning, brothers, biblical prayer is the mark of God's covenant people. The mark of God's covenant people. There in verse 12, the psalmist of Psalm 116 says, what shall I render the Lord for all his benefits for me? So the Lord has, the Lord is the one that took initiative. That's the gospel. The Lord has reached out to me. The Lord has made me his. What should I, how do I respond? And then later on in verse 16, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm going to be, I'm going to fulfill my vows to you. I'm going I'm to respond to your goodness to me. In the, uh, it's interesting in the, Psalm one sixteen in the Vulgate version and the Septuagint version of the Bible. Um, so those are those are, you know, ancient first first Bibles, first whole Bibles. The they separated Psalm one sixteen into two different into two psalms. Um, and most scholars believe the reason that was done is because they were thinking, well, verses one through nine, see that's that's one thing. God is God is initiating there, and that's what. But see per, verses. Verses 10 through 19, that's something else. That's that's the psalmist writing about what he did, and they separated him. Most biblical scholars would say they they should have never been separated. They're they're not meant to be separated. There's actually something there for us to understand, and that is this. God initiates, man responds. That's the covenant. That's, That's what's happening throughout Scripture. That's the That's what it means to be God's covenant people. This is what a covenant relationship looks like. It's that God has initiated. God has called out and said, I want to make peace with you. I want you to be my people. And we respond to that. And in our response to that, we have this covenant relationship. And so this covenant relationship is expressed most gloriously in our prayers. Because we recognize Christ has made the way. God is the one our Heavenly Father has initiated. And we're responding to that by crying out to Him in this broken world, asking Him, by His character, to come through on His promises. So look at the last place, Zephaniah 3, Zephaniah chapter 3. So at the very end of your Old Testaments, Zephaniah 3 has that that great... um, Verse that we all love, verse 17, The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. But look in Zephaniah 3, in verse 9. If you, note, if you had read, if we read the whole chapter starting in verse 1, you would see the condemnation, the, the judgment that's coming on uh, uh, Jerusalem. But notice, as it happens so often, in um, the Minor Prophets, the change. And it's God who changes. It's God God who says, I'm going to love you. You deserve this. I'm going to love you. Verse 9. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them who call upon the name of the Lord and serve him, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord, From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord." There's the description of the mark of God's covenant people is, you deserve this punishment, but I'm going to come in mercy and grace. And I'm going to restore you. And I'm going to make you, I'm going to sanctify you. And in both, in, in two places there, it says, I'm going to make it so you can call upon the name of the Lord. And you're going to be the people who, who, who rest in calling on the name of the Lord. That is the mark of God's covenant people. To, to, uh, to, to be seeking him in biblical prayer. Is to, is to display that you belong to God and are proclaiming that you belong to God, that you're in that kind of relationship with Him. And I love, when you think about a covenant relationship, I always want you to think about this. pastor at my niece's wedding said this, and I will never forget it. As he's talking there, they're, they're, they're my niece and uh, her, her soon-to-be husband, are about to take vows and enter into a covenant relationship with each other. And the pastor said this, you know, what you're about to do is not just declare your current love for each other. Now You are going to declare your current love for each other. But in taking these vows and making these statements, what you're you're doing is you're declaring your future love for each other. I love that. Because in God, in His covenant, what God is saying here throughout His scripture, he's declaring to us not just his love for us right now, which he does, but he's declaring his future love for us. He's declaring that he will love us, you know, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, for eternity. And so as we enter into prayer, we're entering into that space, being reminded again of this covenant relationship with a, a God who is faithful to the very end. And so as we think about how we pray, brothers, I want throughout the, the rest of the semester for us to have this framework to shape our prayers and begin to think, even taking these, this framework that I've given you and, and you know, put it in, your, in whatever note form you want and stick it in your Bible or stick it in your prayer journal and begin to think as I pray, Lord, help me. Help my prayers to be shaped by this. As I've done this for myself, I've written, I've written these questions in my prayer journal: What has God promised? What advances His will? What brings him glory? What has God promised? What advances His will? What brings him glory? And as best I can, when I pray, I'm like, Lord, help shape my prayers around those questions. I I know if I pray those things, we're going to see things happen. (laughs) You're going to do something, and I'm going to claim it based on you. Not because there's some magic trick here. Not because, oh, if I say the right words, God will do the right thing. No, no, no. I want to just enter in as as his covenant child. I want to enter in with him and cry out in this broken world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you promised that whenever your word was read or taught, it would not return void. So, Father, we claim that promise right now in our prayer. And we would ask that for our own hearts, your word would not return void, but instead, What you intend your word to do in our hearts this morning, you would do. Father, we we are grateful that you're a gracious God. We're grateful that you reached out to us before we ever thought to reach out to you. We are grateful that you made us your covenant people and that you made a covenant promise to us, not just declaring your love for us today, but declaring your future love for us. And Lord, it is in that reality that we find our peace being your covenant sons. And we would ask, Lord, because you promised that you would give us the strength to do it, we ask that as we leave this place this morning, you, you would give us by the power of the indwelling spirit, the strength, the courage uh, to resist temptation. Lord, you promised that you'd never give us temptation that was greater than Than that we could stand up under. But you'd always provide a way of escape. Oh Lord help us to see those escape routes. Please. And Lord help us. With courage. And conviction. To truly live as your sons. To truly. Talk today as your sons. To rest. In your love and peace. As your sons. And We pray this. In the matchless name of our Savior, who's made a way for us into your presence, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, brothers.